0: All right, g'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mirigan Unmanned Systems podcast, Drones for Good. Um, today I'm pretty excited to be down in Melbourne with Swoop Aero and the CEO uh, and co-founder of Swoop Aero, um, Eric Peck. Um, Eric, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate being on board.
0: I'm uh, particularly excited about um, today's interview with Eric and to talk about uh, Swoop Aero more broadly. Um, they're doing some pretty cool stuff um, across the world and, and really changing lives and and making a difference. And without stealing too much of um, of Eric's uh, intro into Swoop, I'm, i can even talk more firstly about his background. So I guess Eric, um, how the hell did, did you get to a point you know from from your background to be running a company like Sweep Aero?
1: Yeah, definitely. So much like you, I started off my career um, in the military. I was pilot in the Air Force. Um, I I originally trained to be a a fast jet pilot but I was no good at it and I got air sick. (laughs) So I jumped across from there to the Hercules um, uh, where I kind of trained up all the way to being able to fly low level at night on night vision goggles. Um, and did a couple of uh, tours over in the Middle East. Um, Then I finished off an MBA and made the move into management consulting. Um, Worked at a firm in uh, Sydney called Pollen and then at Deloitte in the strategy and ops team in Melbourne. Um, And along the way there I met my co-founder, josh and we kind of got posed this question that had come from the new south wales state government uh, and the question was could you use a drone to move chemotherapy medication in regional australia and so we kind of sat back and we said well uh, my co-founder josh is a robotics engineer um, he worked for a Siemens subsidiary and, and kind of run a, a small custom-built uav um, consultancy on the side he'd been doing that for about four years um, and we sat down and thought well The answer is yes, it's technically possible, like it can carry the weight and it can fly far enough once. Um, But what does the actual system look like that can do that safely, reliably and cost-effectively every day of the week?
0: And so when you say system, you mean more than just the aircraft?
1: Yeah, that's right. So the aircraft is this really sexy bit of equipment that looks good in in images, but actually it's just one of seven components of of what we view as our our system here at Swoop Aero, which kind of encompasses... Um, Not only the aircraft, but the supporting infrastructure and and the training that goes around that and the the operations and procedures manuals and and how we integrate with the regulator and and, and the customer facing side of the business and and the software backend that supports all of that in the cloud. Um, And so... We kind of set about building that system and, and identified there's this thing called venture capital, which we neither of us had heard of before, but <laughs> we discovered- It's not
0: very th- common in the military venture capital. <laughs> <And> <laughs> not at all,
1: not at all. Um, and, but I discovered it and it's actually, we could if you could kind of go and propose an idea for people, people that effectively have a look at you and do a bit of research on the idea. And if they thought it was good, they'd give you a bit of backing. So um, we went out and we raised a little bit of uh, early stage venture capital and, and started building that system and patent a few bits of technologies and um, had some really early conversations um, with other people in the healthcare space to understand what the real problem was. Um, and what we found is that uh, the way a critical medical supplies are moved at the moment is really broken and it doesn't support everyone uh, in an equal and, and fair manner. Um, and we saw an opportunity to leverage a system that had been built for the ground up that was able to be operated you know, safely in the airspace um, and reliably so a healthcare system can trust that it's going to work and cost effectively so that you know the service is being offered so that people can still get access to healthcare and inside their Medicare rebate effectively um, and so that's what kind of Swoop Era was born from um, we built some of the system um, we found out that UNICEF Vanuatu was interested in uh, releasing a, a competitive tender for medical drone delivery the first in the world Um, And so we went over there and and had an initial chat with them before they released the tender and and thought this is actually a really unique use case and it fits in with what some of our Australian conversations with the the healthcare industry had let us us know. Um, And so from there, we we actually bid on the tender when it got released and we won it, um, which is really exciting. So we won two contracts to um, provide drone transport of vaccines and other medical supplies um, across Eight island, two island groups, and eight islands in Vanuatu, um, and that was the first ever competitive tender for medical drone delivery in the world. And actually, we've won every competitive tender for that in the world since then. The That's six.
0: fantastic. This type of technology and, um, and innovation has come out of Australia and is now changing lives, you know, across the across the world.
1: Yeah. yeah definitely um it's something we're really driven by here um at swoop Air, and i think everyone on the team um we're much more concerned about you know that or much more interested in the impact we're having on the ground day to day um for people who you know currently can't get you know a basic drug like penicillin within a week or a month sometimes and we can what we're enabled for a, a, a government or a healthcare company is that that person on the ground can then get it inside of a day which is life-changing for you know the hundred million people around the world who are pushed into poverty because they don't have any access to medicine at all, or actually the, the the three billion people on earth who don't have access to the same level of healthcare that we experience in Australia.
0: Yeah, right. That's amazing. Um, so why don't, why don't you talk more broadly about where you are and where you're operating, and, and the types of types of roles you're doing, sort of what what problems you're actually you know, fixing across across the world. Yeah, definitely.
1: So that the journey all started in Vanuatu after winning that initial contract. And it's a nice got, place to start. It is actually, it's nice. It was a tough operating environment. Um, it looks like a, a tropical beach when you look at it on Instagram, yeah. but you know, we're kind of, we didn't have showers. There was no fixed electricity, no running water. Fixed air force um, guys
0: won't like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what? It was actually really grounding to be over there and it, it really helped us focus on the impact we could have on the ground. Yep. Um, and so we're kind of operating in this really tough environment there, and that fed back some key learnings into what that system needed to encompass to be able to operate in these parts of the world where we can have the the best impact and create the most value for the people on the ground. But you know, it had some u- unique things about it that we fed back into that system and how we needed to build that for the future. Um, and we built some really good relationships with the government and UNICEF in Vanuatu, and kind of continued operating there. And then we we came across another opportunity to work. With funding from the Gates Foundation, alongside Village Reach and NGO in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which sounds like a really scary place to go. Absolutely, um, but it was fantastic. It was the people are fantastic. Um, they've got some. They've got some challenges over there, and then we're working with their government and the NGOs to kind of overcome the challenges of how their healthcare logistics model does to support the people. Um, and so we started flying operations there in July um, and ran, you know, a big public. Uh, you know media release about what we're doing in about August and it's really exciting we're going to continue expanding out and, and really expand out what we're doing there uh, in March next year. Um, and so kind of off the back of um, the DRC work we commenced work on, on the USA global health supply chain project in Malawi and kind of took over all the UAV operations there so took over the existing uh, UAV operations from the, from, from the operators that were there at the moment and then we've expanded out to a number of additional sites um, and so we're kind of a month into that project and that's likely to proceed for, for an enduring period of time into the future, which is really exciting. Um, and then we're actually, uh, we'll be expanding our work with some further funding from another NGO there in January, um, uh, with funding from UK Aid alongside Village Reach again, we're commencing ops in Mozambique to do tuberculosis sample pickup, So picking up pathology samples from our labs and bringing it back bring from hospitals and bring it back to a lab for testing. Um, and that's part of the World Health Organization's Uh, global strategy over the next five years to eradicate TB globally and so it's about being able to significantly improve that time from sample being taken to getting it back to the lab and tested to the results getting out to the the end user.
0: And you say that it um, decreases the time but I'm assuming that there's this medical some of these medical um, types of things just were never available in the past that this is this is new medical support to some of these people?
1: Yeah, definitely. So what it, it kind of has that twofold effect of we can move the um, move the samples faster than they been traditionally be able to move, and that's not only in terms of physically faster than a car, but you know what? Um, the, the medical centre only gets visited once a month by a car, so actually there's only one day a test can be done. So let's enable that to be done every day, so that it, a test, you know, the, the time period between needing a test and getting your result, we can bring that right back down to something similar to Australia from what can be like a two or three month period. Um, and so it's kind of about that, the overall effectiveness of the system and how we can integrate into that model and, and allow it to happen. But um, I, I mean, even in parts of Australia, uh, you know, one, 200 kilometres outside of Melbourne or Brisbane, there are people who can only get a blood test on two days of the week. Mm. Um, and that's because it's not cost effective for you know, governments or healthcare providers to pick up the samples and move them back. Um, so they just don't get off at that same level of service that we experience in in a capital city.
0: And so with your your system, the sexy part, the aircraft, so talk to me about um, how far these things can fly, how they operate, do they land autonomously, does someone need to be in the village to actually land the aircraft, How, how does that logistics work and how far can they actually go?
1: yeah definitely so we, we took a really unique approach to how we developed the technology and we basically looked at the systems that were on the hercules which is what what i used to fly and looked at how they contributed to making that system safe and then miniaturized it so rather than building up from a, a like a model plane to a delivery drone we actually tried to scale down a 70 ton aircraft and, and replicate the same levels of redundancy and and um, and competence you had in that system into a much smaller scale. That's a
0: really good lesson from the beginning. I think that that's probably a very common thing, that people take a remote aircraft and try and turn it into a fully fledged, flying safe drone, as opposed to taking a C-130 and miniaturising it. That's the first time I've sort of heard of that.
1: Yeah, and I think what it's enabled us to do is very quickly like take the lessons that have been learnt in a hundred and something years of aviation now mm. and bring it into a system, not have to learn them from scratch, and then also like intrinsically from day one, have an understanding of that aviation safety system that needs to sit in and around that, you know, the sexy looking aircraft um, to enable it to be like safe in the air.
0: So do you think, and I know I've asked you a question and now I'm jumping in with new questions. Do you think your previous military training and, and, and military background uh, enabled, you know, that development better? Did you take things out of the military and put it into the SWEEP aero system?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, a lot of our aviation safety management system that kind yeah. of sits around the, the application of the technology is, is really heavily grounded in that um, mature system that is adopted across military aviation. And that's from whether it's like in the Air Force operating a Hercules or in the Army operating a Heron, it's the same system that sits around it. Um, and we've been very much, as we've, you know, we've kind of tripled the team size over a six month period. Um, leveraging um, like the existing skill in the team, and then bringing in um, external advisors with that background as well to make sure we're building the right safety culture um, from day one is really important. And that's because while the pilots, we do they we, we use the word autonomous, but we do have the ability at any stage for the pilot to be in the loop and, and issue a yep. command and override what the aircraft's doing. So highly automated or, or autonomous, that's I don't mind which, which kind of phraseology we use here, yep. but um, it's really important because when you're developing technology, actually, you need that safety culture in the technology development side of the business as well. Because effectively, what you're doing is you're replacing human decisions with computer code. And so, if you don't have the right safety culture sitting around how that development occurs, it's effectively the same as having a pilot that hasn't that's not involved in the safety culture. Yep. Um, and particularly from like an airline and manned aviation side, that culture is critical to maintaining a safe system. So. here every day um, in our technology development cycle, we we adopt the same culture the operations teams have on the ground because they're effectively one and the same. Where basically we're leveraging that culture to enable development of safe technology that's replacing components of a pilot's job.
0: Yeah, great. Um, so back to the, the original question before we got too caught up in, in military um, aviation safety culture, which which is amazing and, and great. So how how far are they flying in, in Vanuatu and other places? So we our
1: kind of benchmark is we guaranteed a delivery out to one hundred kilometers with three wow. kilos of payload and return, um, and so that's that's our benchmark. Um, we base that off like a density altitude um, yep. that replicates what we've experienced in Africa and Vanuatu. It's about five thousand foot. Okay, um, and so basically we like to. Um, go to a customer with just a benchmark of of what we can achieve for them and there's no wriggling there's no uh depending on different conditions that's kind of that's our line in the sand that's our our minimum
0: yeah great and so do you do operate as sort of a hub and spoke type model where you you hub out or you have a central hub where you you might have your major medical facility and you go out to the spokes being the the smaller villages or, or smaller areas is that how you sort of operate Primarily?
1: yeah definitely that's how we um that's how we operate and we also have the ability to range extend so we have a, a hub that's generally the larger healthcare center in the region that might be a tier two medical facility um, and then we're distributing out supplies and to uh, tier three and four facilities and picking up samples from them bringing them back and then um, we work with the healthcare staff on the ground to be able to fully interact with the aircraft and then we basically everywhere we operate, we get our training processes um, assessed and approved by the local aviation regulator, um, and so that effectively we train uh, the healthcare staff on the ground to operate the same way a, a ground handler would at an airport. So right. okay. The aircraft comes in and lands autonomously. It's being monitored by a pilot remotely, yep. um, monitored over mobile internet and satcom and direct link all simultaneously. So three separate. Uh, and independent communication links that kind of of mesh together so we're really confident that we can talk to the aircraft. Uh, It comes in and lands in a healthcare vertically um, using uh, like really accurate GPS and computer vision uh, to make sure it's making a safe and really accurate landing Um, and the drone will actually speak to the operator in their local language so um, in DRC and and, and, you know uh, Mozambique that's uh, what's Portuguese in Mozambique and DRC it's French and uh, in Malawi it's English because they, they mainly speak uh, their, their native language over there in English. So. Okay. But it will speak to them and interact with them and, and they get trained on a series of cues from the aircraft when it's safe to approach, it, it lands in a controlled area that's generically pretty small, um, they can come up, they can unload the payload, um, they have like, we've designed everything so that we don't have load shifts in there and it's really, it's it's impossible to create an out of balance situation so it's always safe and they have some basic instructions like an aid memoir they follow. It tells them how to load and unload. Um, when they're finished with it, um, the, in places like Africa where there's no uh, less mobile internet connectivity, less smartphone uh, technology awareness, or like less use of smartphones, we just have a simple button they press, um, which uh, initiates an automated launch sequence that's monitored by the pilot remotely. Okay. Um, and that's basically them flagging that the area is safe for the aircraft to take off. Okay. Um, the aircraft has a whole integrity self-monitoring suite on board, so Every individual component on board the aircraft is monitored independently of the flight control system, um, and it basically goes through inbuilt tests and it says, I'm okay to go. And as long as the aircraft looks like it's not broken um, at, very, at a very high level um, uh, in, in that intermediary stop, um, it'll, it'll take off and fly home. Yeah, and we've, great. Kind of, we've done several, several hundred flights kind of across um, Vanuatu, DRC, and, and Malawi with that process working seamlessly with a, a pilot. Now um, our pilot sits, doesn't sit at the healthcare at all, actually they sit at the healthcare centre, but um, kind of in, in a room and, and we've got local staff on board and getting them up to speed with the piloting aspect of the business and, and then the healthcare staff are doing all the ground interaction on the side.
0: Well, I think that's, um, you know, the, the really important part there that, that I think is really exciting is that you're empowering the local people to really manage their own, um, you know, critical medical supply transfer um, between places. It's not just, again, the, another country coming in and doing it for them?
1: Yeah, that's a really big part of what we like to focus on is we really believe in in the countries that we're operating in and we want to empower the local uh, workforce to have access to technology-centric jobs. Um, And so where we're operating um, at the moment, we initially go in as an Australian expat team, but as we we progress, the idea is as quickly as possible, we want to localise a workforce as quickly and as safely as possible is the key one. but the idea that, you know, this technology can have a lot of good and we want to build the system that enables, you know, um, the Malawian government or the Malawian healthcare system to, to run this on their own. And we'll provide support from Australia and, and learnings and, and training packages and we'll be on site when needed. But the, the ultimate solution is that the local uh, air operations manager is, is a, local, a local. Is a local guy or girl. Um, yeah. Everywhere they go, which is, which is that's local. awesome.
0: Talk to me about um, something that I'm sure would be difficult is engaging in interaction with local regulators. So with the CASA equivalents across countries that may not be quite as advanced as Australia, how do you manage that, that process from, from a high level? Have you found it difficult?
1: Yeah, um, generally what's happening is we're being introduced uh, through a healthcare partner or an NGO um, uh, to direct to government and then from there, once we have a, a kind of determined enough government and uh, like commercial support for the operation to occur, then we kind of approach the regulator um, a really good thing about the way aviation regulation works is that um, the World Bank provides a lot of funding globally to make sure that you know because aviation is safe because it's regulated so it's important that anywhere an aircraft lies in the world we can under, we can we can be sure that it's going to be or well, meet a certain level of safety so the great the great thing is that a lot, although a lot of these organizations are small um now there's been a lot of funding put into um rpas or drone regulation there's a lot of knowledge building and sharing because um, they
0: see that as a, as a future capability that's going to be needed to support their their local areas
1: yeah that's right and so our approach is um is basically we adopt like we're fully transparent with them we're very open um and we we like we we like for us it's not about getting the approval from the regulators so we can go and fly. I mean, ultimately it's a where well, you have to be very confident as a company that we're not putting people's lives at an undue level of risk. It's yeah. not, and, and, you know, it's, it's a bit of a moral decision really, but you know, people are cowboys out there and they might go on, you know, fly their drone over people's heads and stuff and without really considering the risks of it. And I think it's part of that culture that we've gotten in as, in as an organization is that we are, yeah, we're here to create value and, and do good in the world, but we can't do that at the expense of unnecessarily putting someone at risk. So, um, and I think it's about being really transparent about what we believe in and what we do, and working very closely with the regulators everywhere we go. And sometimes we need, you know, in 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 DRC, we need a translator in the room to help speak French. But yep. you know, we, we kind of we kind of we kind of get there, and, and it's just transparency and being very open and honest, and and, and working through the process. And sometimes it, it takes a while to do, but that's that's fine because ultimately, um, ensuring that what we're doing isn't creating unnecessary risk for anyone and making sure that everyone is aligned and that's really important to us.
0: So bringing the discussion back closer to home um, here in Australia, do you see a future in, in medical supplies with drones, particularly in regional areas and rural areas in Australia? What do you think the future is there?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's, um, there is definitely a clear need uh, in you know, once you're 100 kilometres out of a capital city in Australia, mm. there's a clear need and a clear use case for this technology as long as it's applied correctly um, and safely in the right manner. Um, and so I think where the where the use case comes is that, you know, people, people who live in a regional part of Australia or they don't live in a capital city, you know, they, they probably should have the right to expect the same level of service that we get in the city. And, um, you know, there's an increasing amount of pressure on the healthcare system to improve levels of service but maintain a cost base as the population grows so I think that's what where we see the opportunity in places like Australia and New Zealand is being able to enable an improved level of service without the without the associated exponential increasing cost that would be needed to achieve that with current transportation methods um, and so kind of across the the pharmaceutical distribution and, and sample collection and pick up and return to base space um, there's some clear needs um, in in Australia and New Zealand and, and emerging markets kind of globally where this where this technology can be used to you know create some real value right here in, right here in australia
0: and so what do you think the roadblocks are you know what are the, what are the problems in the industry either to make that happen or why isn't that happening at the moment do you think I think
1: there's this really unfortunate um, outcome of the rapid technology advancement that's led to adoption of drones that basically means there was a period of time where people tried to do this and and failed um, and failed in a risky way or a dangerous way in some cases Um, and what that's meant is a bit of apprehension both in the market and both on the regulatory side about how can we trust this technology and so um, we our key barrier to kind of entering this market is building a level of trust and credibility across the board um, so that the customers that have previously been burnt or the potential customers that have previously burnt in somewhere like Australia in the healthcare industry um, need to be able to trust that the technology will work for them um, and then uh, that's I mean that's probably our, our main barrier the regulation um, piece in Australia the regulation is tough and it's tough for a reason it's because we need we need everyone one needs to believe and needs to be assured the aviation system is safe so um, you know it's it's not a roadblock regulation is an enabler, it's just a long process to work through and, mm. and we're kind of our viewers that we'll work through that process and make it happen.
0: So where was Swoop when was Swoop Aero established?
1: The company itself was founded in 2017.
0: Okay, so we're sort of two years in, into into the uh, the journey at the moment. Yeah. So where do you see Swoop Aero in, in say five years time? So you know, more than double what you've been so far. Are you gonna have a larger drone, you're gonna be flying five hundred kilometres? What's what's your vision for the future for the company going forward as, as the CEO? Definitely,
1: I think um, we have this real opportunity to sit within our current size and, and range bracket, probably with a bit, little bit of increasing um, with a few tweaks and, and some new technology coming on board. Um, but we would like to see this technology really leveraged heavily within our current use case um, to really grow in the in the areas we're operating in Africa. And then um, we've got uh, like a strong pipeline of expansion plan for the Southeast Asian region. Um, and then what I'd really love to see um, in, in like, particularly in the Australian space, is ours have the ability to leverage this, starting off in some of the most remote communities of Australia, um, particularly in places like the Northern Territory and Queensland, um, that we can enable them to have a level of service that they currently don't have. Um, we don't view ourselves building a bigger aircraft to mm-hmm. facilitate that. Um, we think that's a whole other project on its own, and, and likely if we really need a bigger aircraft, we'll probably just buy it or lease it from someone Um, that aircraft being one component of a system and, you know, if we can, if we can buy a system that we can slot in because we have a, we've found that we have a customer use case for that. Um, I think that's something we'd explore, but at the moment we haven't, we haven't found the need for a a bigger aircraft. Um, and I think the the common misconception is if we double the size of the aircraft to double the payload, we actually 10 X the cost. Mm. So it's from our perspective, we can increase frequency much more easily, um, than increase uh, the aircraft size and the payload size. So, um, basically our, our path for the future is, um, we'd love to see this uh, our ability to influence healthcare supply chains, you know, from Africa to the Pacific, and that's kind of our operating band. Um, and then we'll let the market dictate if we need more range or bigger aircraft, that's kind of, we'll be agile and respond to that as we need to.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, look, um, Eric, hats off to you and, and Josh on what you guys have managed to achieve um, so far. This is this is absolutely a drone for good you know, into the future. Um, if people want to learn more about Swoop Aero or, or want to get in touch with you, what's, what's the best place to, to say good day?
1: Yeah, definitely. We've got a, a good presence across social uh, social media and our website is www.swoop.aero, A-E-R-O, and uh, you can send an email at any time to contact at swoop.aero and we'll get back to you within you know, 24 to 48 hours.
0: Fantastic. Um, we might wrap it up there I think before we we run out of time too much again Eric you're a busy guy thank you so much for uh, catching up with us this morning on the drones for good um, podcast keep doing what you're doing and and hopefully we can do a version two in six months or so and, and hear how you've progressed yeah thanks very much thanks for having me and I look forward to it awesome thanks mate